The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? And Jesus asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread blessed it and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized Jesus, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together, and they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon." Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. So, uh, y'all have seen the chapstick, so I can't use this trick on you. And it didn't work as well as I thought it might anyways. So, so today's, today's Gospel lesson is one that I think is, is really important. And it's, it's one that always kind of sits well with me because... I kind of get where the disciples are coming from. You know, the, first of all, Luke is my favorite account of the resurrection because when the disciples hear that Jesus is raised from the dead, the Greek word with which they react is the word leros, which, they, which is interpreted in our translation as idle tales. You know, my, my preaching professor, Dr. Reidenauer, who was sometimes a little crass, I won't use the word that he used, but, but he said bull, and, and you can fill in the rest, right? And, and to me, you know, someone's raised from the dead, even, even Jesus. You know, like, I've, I've known some good people in my life. And despite what people might think, you know, people who aren't pastors tend to be the real saints in congregations. And it's always those people who, who are the ones who are the backbone that you think, man, that person is someone in whom I see Jesus. You know, I think of my Sunday school teachers. I think about you know, the people who serve on the altar guild. I think about the people who are the musicians. Most of the people who I think of when I think of this, sorry guys, are the women. Because the women are the ones who tend to be the most dedicated to what's going on in the church. And there are some men in there too. 
But, you know, even those holiest people in whom I see Jesus most clearly, you know, I'd, I would not believe that any of them had, had come back from the dead unless I, unless I pull a Thomas and able, I'm able to see, touch, and, and hear what they have to say. And so for the disciples to hear that Jesus was risen, it seems reasonable for their reaction to be bull. You know, and so there they were walking along the road, Cleopas and his friends, and they were struggling with this news that Jesus is risen. This news that on the one hand is unbelievably good, and on the other hand is still kind of unbelievable to them. And think about where they are. They're, they're brokenhearted, and they're sad, and they're frustrated, and, and, and they're angry, and they're hurt, and they're afraid, and, and they're still hiding in rooms and traveling in groups so that they can protect themselves. And then this stranger walks up, and they haven't even heard of him. You know, so, so what are you all upset about? You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, someone who knows your family really well or someone who knows your, your city really well, maybe after the Boston Marathon bombing, you know, and someone had walked up and you're a Bostonian and they say, well, what happened that everyone's so upset? Didn't you hear about the bomb? You know, bombs go off across the world and we hear about it in 10 minutes. And, and so some people being crucified in Jerusalem was, was big news then. How can you not have heard what had happened to Jesus? And it's in that time of fear and loneliness and brokenness that God is with them and they don't recognize God. So I was, I was about 23 years old. It was about January, February 2001. I got married in March 2001. And uh, I, was, I was working on the end of my first senior year in college. And I was thinking about getting married and what that's going to mean and the fact that I needed a graduation date and the fact that I needed to figure out, you know, am I, am I actually going to go to seminary or am I going to go and do something else? You know, trying to, trying to answer all those big adult questions about my identity and what I'm going to do and who I'm going to be and, and just worried, frankly, that I wasn't a good enough guy to be a good husband to, my, to Lauren, who's now my wife. Sixteen years later, I still kind of worry about that one. But, that, you know, that's a whole different story. But I was... Uh, it was one of those moments in my life where I was just stuck. So I did what I always did back then, and I, I worked out my, my problems and emotional issues by writing, writing about God, and I did it in the Waffle House because, hey, I could sit all day for two bucks and a cup of coffee, right? And that's not too shabby. And what was, what was really different that day, it wasn't so different that I sat around writing and, and working out my own issues through theology. The thing for me that was weird was I was hungry. And I, I know you can't tell by looking at me, but I do like to eat. And, you know, I, I can eat well when I, when I want to eat well. And I could not, for the life of me, get full. You know, I'd had the patty melt and scattered, smothered, covered, and all the other things you can dump on top of hat. And, and, you know, I, I, I went home and I, I ate and I tried everything I could. You know, I just tried so hard to be full, but I could not fill myself up. And for two days, I was just famished. I was hungry, and I was writing, and I was hungry. <laughs> yes? And I was writing. And Sunday morning came, and Mom was the church musician at Christus Victor where I grew up. And I knew that if I went to church and sang in the choir, that Mom would feed me afterwards. And I was hungry, so I went to church. And 
it was it was the service, and we did all the normal. You know, we we confessed that we were, and back then we confessed we were in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. You know, and heard the pastor say, as a called ordained minister of the Church of Christ, and by His authority, I declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. Right? And I was just like, yeah, that's great. Is lunch soon? And the pastor gave a sermon to which I, of course, paid very careful attention. And and remember, to this day, every word that he said, I, well, maybe not every word. You know, and, and, and we did the creed and all the normal things, and that was fine. And I was just so hungry. And then, and then we came to communion, and we did all the chanting and singing and all those things. And then I remember hearing the words. The night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to all to eat, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And again, after supper, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it for all to drink saying, take and drink. This cup is the new covenant shed for you and for all people in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. And I went up and I got my little styrofoam wafer, my little shot glass of wine. And I ate them and drank it. I was full. I'd been trying to get full for two days and I could not get enough to eat. And, and you can attest to the fact that this is not a very, a very filling meal that we have during communion. But I realized in that moment what I was really hungry for wasn't something I could fill with food. It, it wasn't something that, that I could fill with company. It wasn't something that I could fill with even having all the answers about who I was and what I was going to do and what kind of husband I, I was going to be. There are some things that can only be filled by our Creator and presence with our Creator and being able to see in the midst of our brokenness that God is with us. And that's what filled me up. It wasn't the wafer and the wine. It was the presence of Jesus. It was, it was the presence of God with me in that moment where I was just struggling with the fact that, you know, not only was I not good enough to deserve my wife, you know, not only was I not good enough to, or I didn't feel good enough to be a pastor, you know, but I, I felt alone. I felt afraid and I didn't know what to do with that. Now, you know, the other thing that, that you might know about me if you get to know me is that I tend to have opinions about everything, and, you know, it's not unique to me being 23 that I knew everything. You know, that, that trend does continue. But, you know, it, it's in those moments where, where I recognize that I really don't know, where I, I really don't have the answers that I think I have, where, where I really have no clue what I'm going to do, that I find Jesus. And isn't it interesting that it's in these broken places where, where God appears most clearly to us? It's in those times when we're sad and alone and afraid, when we think the world is scary, where we don't know what we're going to do about our job, where, where we've said things we shouldn't say, where we've done things we wish we hadn't done, where, where we feel so far from God that it feels like our prayers are just going out into the void. And, and like our heart is breaking from the ice that it's turned into. You know, it's, it's in those places where I, where I am able to, to encounter God most honestly, most clearly, in a sense that's most real. Because if I'm being really honest with myself and with y'all, those are the times when I'm looking for God. You know, the disciples were sad and they were turned inward. The disciples were heartbroken and they were turned inward. That's what pain does. That's what fear does. That's what heartbreak does. It turns us in on ourselves. You know, 
the reason that people a lot of times when they're in grief over the death of a loved one, when they're in grief over the loss of a job or embarrassed that, that we turn inward is because we, we, we close up as a, as a way of guarding our wounds. You know, just like animals do when they're hurt. You know, we, we close up as a way of trying to protect ourselves. What God does is God reminds us that we were not created to be in isolation. We were created for community. We were created to be loved. And we were created to be in the presence of people who love us. We were created to be in the presence of God. And that's what we say in baptism. That's why we say you've been marked with the, Christ and, with the cross of Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit forever. And we talk with the kids and with the adults about this being God's promise that no matter where we are and no matter what we do and no matter what kind of, what kind of place we're in and whether we feel far away or whether we feel so close to God that we feel like God's very presence is going to set us on fire, that God is with us before we're able to believe, profess, proclaim, or, or say anything about it. That promise that we receive through baptism is the promise that lets us know that the thing that we probably fear more than anything else is not true, that we really are alone, because God is with us. And I don't know about y'all, but that's one of the things that works so hard on my heart the fear that I really am alone, the, the way my grief and my pain and my shame tell me I am. You know, and, and Easter is, is such a, a wonderful time in the church year because it, it helps us to identify both with the glory and miraculous nature of God being able to raise not only Jesus from the dead, but because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, promising to us that we too have the hope of new life but also face that very humanity within us that, that resonates with the fear of the disciples that maybe this is too good to be true. You know, it's a time of both joy and wonder, of celebration and doubt, where, where our human fears and our, and our hopes that, God has prom- that what God has promised is true come into being together. And we come together as the church to celebrate and wonder. Because if I'm being honest about my faith, there really is that part of me that still wonders, is this really too good to be true? You know, it's, it's a deep and pervasive question. It's a, it's a sneaky question because it kind of sneaks into those moments of certainty. But the good news of Easter is that God sees us. God knows us those parts that we want to show God and those parts that we wish God couldn't see. And through the waters of baptism, God declares he loves all those parts. And we are declared to be God's children. And our Father loves us well. So as we go out from this place this week, and you know, we figure out, what do we do with all these things? We remember that we always are meeting Jesus on the road in places where we never expect to see him you know, in, in the faces of the people who need to hear a good word, in the faces of the people who are sick, in the faces of the people who, who mean us harm, the faces of our enemies, and in the faces of the people who love us. And, and we also remember that we see Jesus in places that we don't expect too, that we see faces and we see Jesus in the, in the faces of the people who love us and who show us God through the things they do for us. This week, go out and find Jesus in the places where you expect him to be 
in the places where you don't expect him to be. And rejoice in the places where you see Jesus. This week, go out and be the embodied version of Jesus for the world who needs to see him so desperately. Be the bravery of the love of God for the world that's in fear. Be the, be the real promise and presence for the world that feels alone. Be the love for the world that feels it's not worthy of it. Not because it's ours, but because it's God. That's what God's told us to do with it. Amen.